It's good to see you guys here tonight. Um, Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to continue in the book of Hebrews. You know, it's it was great to hear from Alex um, that he was going to be out here, and Queen and I had lunch with he and Alyssa yesterday, and it was great to to see someone who we haven't seen in gosh, I don't know how many years it's been. Yeah, it's been quite a bit, probably more than that, I think. But it's been a, quite a while. But what's great is to see someone growing and maturing as not only a man, but as a, a follower of Jesus. It's a, a great thing to be able to see someone's faith become bigger, become something that you recognize and see. And as we're going through chapter 11 of Hebrews, you know, again, I know it's known as the hall of faith, but I I think it's more actually the credentials of faith. Paul, or whoever's writing the book of Hebrews, is writing to the Hebrew Christians and trying to help them see that their faith in Christ is enough. That their faith in Christ is better than their faith in, we saw Moses, faith in angels, faith in the law, faith in the priesthood that was delivered by Aaron. He is better. And though he is not seen he is still substantial. And that was the struggle that they were having. The Messiah has come. We recognize that. He's risen from the dead. They're excited. And then a year goes by. And then two years go by. And the Roman government is still oppressing the the Hebrew people. And our difficulties are still here. And three years goes by. And four years go by. And five years. And six years. And ten years go by. And... I thought the Messiah was going to bring victory to us. I thought the Messiah was going to change our circumstances. I thought that the Messiah was going to do these things that I had in my mind that I had heard. And here I am all these years later. And there is no return of Christ. And I I don't see those things, but I, I do see the temple where we worship, and I do see the sacrifices that are being offered there, and I I do see the things that I am used to and my traditions have been all along. And maybe I'll, I'll believe in Jesus, but I'll go back to some of those traditions as well. And this writer of Hebrews is telling them the foolishness of that. And really, chapter 11 is kind of a turning point where Now the writer wants them to see not just the reasons why Jesus is better, but that he has been better all along. And as we went through the first 20 verses last week, we saw the examples specifically of Abraham. Predominantly, we focused on Abraham, how Abraham was a person of faith who believed in God, even though he didn't see the promise that God had given him that his descendants would be numerous. That was something he believed God by faith. 
We talked about faith being something that is substantial because of who we have faith in. Faith is not a substance of itself. You have to have faith in something. And our faith is in God. And so what we're going to do is continue to show that faith in God is substantial. That faith gives those who possess the faith eyes of the seer. In other words, eyes of the one who is given, who we have faith in. If we have faith in God, then it gives us the ability to see as God sees. It's a quiet confidence in the future. Things that we don't have now. The evidence of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. Evidence of what we don't yet see. And so, we are going to continue on this exploration of what this faith looks like. And in verse 20, we move from Abraham to his son, and it says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now here's three examples where there is confidence in the future that was based solely on the integrity of God and God's promises, not on their circumstances. And so the writer is showing that your forefathers, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they had confidence in God for a future that they did not know about. Confidence for things that they could not see. They saw themselves as part of a bigger plan and were undisturbed by the lack of fulfillment in their lifetime. Think about that. Joseph was dying in Egypt and he said, take my bones from here when you leave. It wasn't if you leave, it's when you leave. And bury them in the land that God had promised. And we've talked about this before. They just drug those bones in the wilderness. Who's got the bones? You know, where are they? Are they in a bag? What's going on? And they took those bones until they saw the fulfillment. Because Joseph had confidence in the promise of God. Even though he could not see the promise evident. Even though he died. He was sure that God was true. And faith is that confidence in God. So now... Why would these Hebrew Christians falter just because they didn't see Christ returning when they wanted? And then we have to ask the question ourselves. Do we falter because we don't see things coming to fruition like we would want? I don't see the healing. I don't see the blessing financially. I don't see the, the things that I want to happen. Does that shake our confidence in God? Or is what he promised true? And it might not happen fully in our lifetime. 
that we can trust God. We can have confidence in Him. Why do we falter? We know that God is faithful. I, I think most of us, if we were to ask the question, do you believe God is faithful, just, true, that His promises will come to pass, and we'd all say, yeah, we do. Then the question has to be, then why do we doubt? Why do we, why do we wonder? Why do we struggle? Why do we question? Why do we have these battles with unbelief? if we believe that. And that's what we're kind of addressing. That's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing to the Hebrew Christians, and I think that's what God is wanting to address with us. Because remember, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We read that last time. It's impossible. You have to believe that God is, and that he is the one who rewards those who seek and put confidence in him. And what we're going to see right now is that there are eyes that see God and see the future in his hands. And there are eyes that look at the circumstances and the things that are temporary. And the eyes of faith are not based on the things that are seen and are subject to temporal changes. The eyes of faith are on God, on the future, and what he has in store for us, whatever that might be. And so here are three examples of men who trusted God for what they did not see for the future that they did not get to fully partake of. But still they had faith in God. It goes on in verse 23 and it talks about Moses' parents. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Some translations might say a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. That's kind of an unusual verse, you know, <laughs> beautiful. He's beautiful, so we're going to save him. What is his brother ugly and they didn't, you know, what, what is the idea? The whole idea is the idea of a not an ordinary or a beautiful child. It had a prophetic intent, a prophetic sense of this was a child of destiny. They, they believed and saw that God was going to use this child. And so they believed that God would assist in the care of this child. You see, they, they had a, a sight to see that this child is not ordinary. He is unique in the purpose of God. And so we need to take a chance. Even though it's against the king's edict, we're going to put our necks on the line because we believe that God has a different purpose for this child. He goes on, and it says in verse 24, By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And so we see that the, the faith that they had put in God for their child Moses trusting God for him, even leaving him there on the, the Nile, trusting that God would care for him, God would provide for him. And we know this story. It's greater than you know fiction. The Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby and, and takes the baby and then asks to find a Hebrew mother who can wean the child and it ends up being Moses' own mother. And those formative years, she... In, 
instructs this child somehow in what way we don't know about who God is. And there comes a point in Moses' life where he sees the treatment of the children of Israel and he chooses to side with God and God's people rather than with Egypt. And now we see in these verses there is a choice of faith. We see the outward courageous actions that were made by inward decision and that what he believed was important. You see, everything we do is based on what we believe. If you believe that the chair will hold you, you sit down on the chair. If you don't, you won't sit on it. If you believe that roller coaster isn't going to fly off the track, you'll get on it. If you're not sure, you probably won't. And some people have those fears. But what you believe is going to be what you put weight on, what you put stock in. And here we see that Moses believed in the people of God rather than in the power of Egypt. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just to your left there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the last two verses, starting at verse 16. And I want you to think about your life and what you're putting trust in, what we put stock on, what we put our weight and lean onto as far as our lives are concerned. And maybe the situations that we're going through and hear these words. Verse 16, Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart. Think about that. Just allow that to simmer a little bit. Therefore we do not lose heart. Oh, I wish I could say that was true for me. I wish I could say I did not lose heart. I wish I could say I have such confidence in my God that I don't ever lose heart. I can't. Maybe you can. Maybe you should be up here and, and be teaching it. But my experience is we all come to places where we lose heart, where we wonder, where we, we falter, where we stumble, where our eyes are, are off of God and His majesty and His greatness and they fall on our circumstances but Paul says we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what, on, what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, coming from Paul, this has substance. Because Paul knew what it was like to be persecuted, to be beaten, to be stoned almost to death. Well, to death once, and then he came back to life, apparently be beaten, chased out of the city, to be without, to be thrown into prison, to be abandoned by his fellow brothers and left for dead. 
And he says, we, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly, we're wasting away. We're being just kind of devoured. But inwardly, we're being renewed. Every day, I'm being renewed. I'm being strengthened for our light and momentary affliction. Okay, the guy who's been beaten, stoned, thrown in prison, light and momentary affliction. What is your light and momentary affliction? You know, I got a ticket. You know, uh, what, what is your light and momentary affliction? Compare it to Paul's and I, I think we're going to find ourselves, you know, humbled. For a light and momentary affliction, it, it doesn't compare for God is working in eternal glory. And so he says, we fix our eyes. Remember our vision, the things of God and the things of this world. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We are focused on God. We are locked in on God. And it doesn't matter all the other things that are happening around us. Our vision stays on God. That's how we don't lose heart. That's what it means to have faith. Is to trust God over our circumstances. To trust God in spite of our circumstances. To lean and trust and rest on God, period. And so we see that Moses made that decision. He set his affections on the, the children of God instead of on the things of Egypt. If we set our affections on what will happen as far as that long-term process, then we have the ability to go through it. I was thinking, trying to think of what's an example of just trusting in an outward or a long-term result and getting by the circumstances that are temporary. And the best one I could think of, I kind of fall short in its childbirth. You know, I can't relate to it all that much. Actually, I can, but not to the degree. You know, when a woman is pregnant, the, the talk throughout that pregnancy is about the child. I was reading, um, I just found out some friends, they're going to have a boy, and it was like on, on Facebook, oh yeah, we're going to have a boy. And the talk is about, oh, the child, the child this, and can't wait to have the child. The focus isn't, oh, the pain, oh, the pain, the pain of childbirth. I can't, I can't live for... There is something that's beyond the pain that is so more than that the pain isn't talked about. It'll be dealt with, sure enough. But it goes beyond. The focus isn't the pain. The focus is the child. And you see, our focus needs to be in that life that God has for us, not on the pain of dealing with the things that we deal with. And we have to have that kind of vision. And that's what Moses had. And that's kind of what he's talking about here in Hebrews. He chose the people of God, the people of God that's connected to the eternal the eternity, the eternal working of God through these people. He connected with them rather than the pleasures of sin in Egypt, what for a short time. You see, one is connected to God who is eternal, the other is connected to pleasures that are temporary. 
And Moses saw the things that were long-term and trusted in those things rather than in the things that were temporary. Trusting in the things of God than the pleasures of a short uh, sin for just that short time or a season. And really, isn't this where the struggle is so many times? How, how many people do we know and how many times we ourselves deal with this where we do something that we shouldn't do, we give in to a vice, we give in to, and it could be anything from drugs to pornography to gossip, where we give in to just the, the temporary satisfaction of that item rather than knowing what we should do. Because our focus is off of the things of God and they become a part of that thing that will satisfy, gratify what we want right now. I don't know how many people I know who, who know what's right and what's wrong, but still choose what is wrong because that's what they like. It is the pleasure that they seek. It is, is where their focus is. And you would just you just want to sometimes shake people and say, no, no, look, look further, look ahead. Don't you see what's happening to you? Don't you see what's going on? And they could say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But that remains what they want. I've shared with you before about a young man that I knew, and I hadn't seen for years. It was actually Colleen one day who then ran into him, um, and said, yeah, I know Sam, and it was Wayne, and uh, I'd just been thinking about the guy. I thought about him the day before. I hadn't thought about him for seven years or something like that. And all of a sudden, Colleen goes, hey, I saw this guy, and I couldn't remember his name. What was that guy's name? I used to work with him. And I remember him having some struggles with, you know, uh, crystal meth, and he really struggled a lot. And I couldn't remember his name. And then the next day, Colleen comes up. Hey, man, this guy, he says he knows you. And she told me his name. And I was like, oh, my gosh. He goes, yeah, he wants to see you. And I'm like, oh, great. Oh, this is such an, a God thing. I, wasn't, I was thinking about the guy after seven years. I think about him. And she comes and he says he wants to get together. And I remember sitting down and talking to him. And he looked just awful. He looked pretty messed up. And... and as I'm talking to him, I'm thinking this is God's intervention. God has brought he and I together so that I could just help him get over this hump and get him walking on the straight and narrow and get his life back together. It just made so much sense to me. And as I was talking to him, he said, you know, I know that if I continue living like I am, I am going to die using drugs and involved with all the things I'm involved with. I know that I'm going to die. And so I'm like, okay, man, then let's get out of there. Let's, let's stop doing those things, he says, but I don't want to. And I know, I know God has told me I'm going to die. Here's a young man that had learned the scriptures. He even recited the scriptures to me. He knew those things. But he said, I don't want to. And I remember thinking, how could this be, God? You brought him here and in a miraculous way in my mind and then in person, and now he's going to continue living this way? 
He chose to enjoy the pleasure of sin just for a short time. And it wasn't maybe two weeks later he called me again and he found out that he had HIV. And sure enough, God had told him it's going to kill you. And sure enough, God was true. And you see, we have to be able to see those things, but not only see them, we have to be able to put our trust in the right thing. Because it's not enough to know right and wrong. You have to put stock in what is right. And so we have to put our affections on the things that are eternal. Be connected with the people of God rather than in the pleasures of sin for a short time. Verse 26, he says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. He was looking where? Ahead. He wasn't seeking his reward here. He was looking ahead for his reward. He wanted a reward that would last, not one that was temporary. And so the reproach of Christ or the disgrace of Christ is talking about being identified with a follower of God even though it was in a lesser position. It has never been, and it will never be, or should never be probably, the, the beneficial thing to do to be a Christian. You don't become a Christian to succeed in life. You become a Christian to follow after God. And I know that there's so much, you know, in Christianity today that is painted as if you believe in Jesus, you will get all these things. You won't get sick. Whatever you ask for will come to pass. You know, there's a lot of faith movement or just positive and prosperity that's supposed to be a part of Christian. You'll have no more problems, no more doubts, no more fears, no more struggles. If you become a Christian, life will be easy. And they try and sell it. Jesus never sold it. Jesus said, "You will blessed are those who mourn and suffer persecution. I don't know. They've they got to listen to Jesus a little bit more. But what happens here is Moses said, you know what? Even though Egypt is the power of the time, God is the power of all time. And I will put my stock in God rather than in Egypt. I, I trust in God and I see the long term, looking ahead for his reward. And, and are we looking ahead for our reward or do we want it now? Depends. Some weeks I'm better than others. Some days, yeah, I'm good. Sometimes, oh, doggone it, I want credit now. Moses had eyes of faith that looked long-term. You see, the qualities of faith understand the superiority of the spiritual and moral values over the sensual and temporary blessings. It is sure that the lasting values are on the side of Christ and the people of God and not the world. It chooses to surrender a passing advantage for a permanent gain. It gives up the temporary for the eternal. And that's what the qualities of a strong faith are. And so those were Moses' choice. 
of choosing faith, faith in God. You see, he had faith in God rather than in Egypt. That's our choice. I have faith in God rather than my job, rather than in people, rather than in whatever, circumstances. Moses also had an endurance of faith. In verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. I love this scripture. It intrigues me. It, it, it just it calls to me. As we went through the Beatitudes, it reminds me of Jesus' words, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Moses saw the invisible God. And I want to know, what does that look like? How can you see something that is invisible? How can you know? But there have been times in my life where I have had such surety in the work of God that I have no doubt. Where I could say, I have seen the invisible God. He has manifested himself to my soul. And I know what I have believed. And I have confidence in him. And I am sure. And see, that's what Moses did. He had faith and he saw him who was invisible. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we see Elijah prayed for his servant. He said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. His servant saw that they were surrounded by the armies. And Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. He was blind to the spiritual element, but it was always there. Do you recognize that God is with us? That he is here, that he is working on our behalf, that the circumstances that you're going through, whatever they are, God hasn't left you. He hasn't forgotten you. Are you able to see the invisible God? To see his hand at work in your life and in your circumstances, even though the temporary manifestation is not pretty, is not comfortable, is not easy. Are you able to see the invisible God? And you see, when you have that faith and you have that assurance and you have that heart that is desiring God above all other things, he makes himself known. He opens our eyes to his hand at work when we put our confidence and trust in him. And what a beautiful thing. I, I hope that is true of all of us, that we persevere because we saw the one who is invisible. See, he persevered because he saw. We persevere, we get through it. Why? Because we see God and his working and what he's doing. It's not because our circumstances change. It's because we see God above our circumstances, things that are eternal, not the things that are temporary. Verse 28 and verse 29, we see an exodus of faith, continuing kind of with Moses and those. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. 
And so we see that by faith they did these things. In verse 29 it goes on, By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You see, true faith always gets you out of Egypt. True faith will get you out of that circumstance, the, the temporary, the, the things that are vying for your affection, the things that are there to, to try and win you over from the things of God. True faith gets you out of that mindset, gets you out of that lock, gets you out of that place where you are just bombarded with these things. And you see, life is dependent, this life that God has is dependent not just on the bloodshed, but on the blood that was applied. In other words, it wasn't the blood itself that got them out of Egypt or saved them from the destroyer taking the life of the firstborn. It was the blood that was shed and then put on the doorposts. It's not enough if you know that Jesus died for your sin, if you don't apply it to your life. If you don't say, I trust in that for my life. It doesn't matter if he died and it's not applied. Hey, that kind of rhymed. It has to be applied. You have to put the blood on the doorposts and on the lentils for the destroyer to pass over you. You have to walk through and believe in God through the Red Sea that was parted. You see, and that's why the Hebrews made it through and the Egyptians didn't. You see, they had faith in the God. They were applying their lives to the promises of God. The Egyptians were just in pursuit of them. One benefited, the other didn't. It's not enough if there was blood spilled, if the blood isn't applied. And that's again where faith comes in. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and so I'm putting my confidence in what he's done for me. God, when you judge me, take the judgment that fell on Jesus instead of me. I'm applying that to my life. I don't just believe that that happened. I'm appropriating it to my life. I want it to be a part of me. I want to live like he did that for me. I want to recognize that as my own. I can think of a number of times where I've, I've gone to funerals and I've done a funeral service. And at some point in the service, they're talking family members and they're remembering things that their, their father, their uncle, their mother has done. And, and they make vows to the person who has passed on, that they will remember those things that they've done. You know, my mother told me to always take care of, you know, the, her children, and so I, I'm vowing that I'm going to make sure that your children are cared for for the rest of my life. And they take this vow and they make it their own. In other words, you said this and I, I take this and I'm going to apply it because you said so and I'm going to respect you even though you've died I'm respecting your wishes and I'm, I'm making them a part of my life. Well, Jesus gave his life for us. Are we going to respect that and take that life and make it of value and recognize that you died for me. I'm not going to take that lightly. I'm not going to take it for granted. I'm not going to use it for my advantage. I'm going to have respect for what you've done for me. I'm going to trust in it and apply it to my life. And we need to not take lightly 
the grace, but to apply it in our lives and the things that God has done for us. In verse 30, he says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. This is a great example because after Moses had come and gone, delivered the children of Israel, Joshua came into that place where he was now overseeing the children of Israel, kind of leading them. They still had to depend on God. They couldn't depend on Moses. They had to have faith on God, in God. And it's God who does the miraculous. You see, what they had to do, how they applied their faith, is they did what God had instructed them to do. And let's face it, what God had instructed them to do was foolish. That's why Paul says the wisdom of men, or the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. This was foolish. March around a city seven times. I, I don't care what you do. That's not how you get a city to fall down. But they marched around the city seven times, just like God had told them to do. They put faith in what God had said, and then God did the miraculous. God is the one who brought the walls down. They didn't. You see, we have faith in a miraculous God. We believe, have faith in Him. God's the one who has to knock the walls down, not us. But faith without action is dead, James tells us, James 2.26. If they would not have walked around that city, the walls would not have come down. Well, how does that work? How, why did you know what? Why seven times? You know what, what was the? You know we got to get our veggie tails out of mind. You know where they they throw slurpees on them. You know this was this was real stuff. It's funny. I've been thinking about veggie tails. We're gonna go through the book of Jonah Sunday. We're gonna start the book of Jonah. We're going to do four uh, studies on Jonah. And I keep thinking, i got to get past the veggie tales. You know, we got to regain the book of Joshua. I mean, the book of Jonah. Uh, the same thing here. You know, Jericho fell down because God is mighty and they put faith in a mighty God. And really, that, that's what comes down to us. We have to put our faith in a mighty God. It's not ourselves that we have faith in. It's God that we have faith in. It's not our circumstances that do the work. It's God who does the work. And we need to remember those things. Verse 31 goes on. It says, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, she trusted in what she had only heard about but had not seen. And again, we're coming to the whole point that the writer of Hebrews is addressing the Hebrew Christians in. She put her faith in them, even though she had not seen God work, she had just heard about it. Some of these people had not seen Christ rise again from the dead. They did not see, of course, he has not come back, returned, so they had to put their faith in what they've heard and not what they've seen. But look what happened to Rahab. She was delivered. She had faith in them instead of, you know, in the circumstances. And once again, I think it's interesting, especially as we start going into some of these names, how they label her. You know, she never becomes just Rahab the hero. She's Rahab the prostitute. 
You know, it's like, when can I lose the title? You know, when can I just be Rahab, you know, the deliverer? Why do I have to be Rahab the prostitute? But I think God does this so that we understand where we are and where he reaches to save us. You see, God has no problem calling her the prostitute. We're the ones who have the issue. We're the ones who have the struggle with those things that we do wrong. God says, oh yeah, she's a prostitute. She's a prostitute, but now I've, you know, delivered her. You know, we're the ones who have the struggle. Ah, I'm a drug user. No, I'm not. Not me. I, I'm clean. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm, I'm all, you know, we, we don't like, we like to get rid of the labels. Anything that makes us look bad. When really all that does is make God look good. This is who I was. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I, I was prostitute now I'm not you know not me personally you know what I'm saying it, it, it's God the one who's delivering them and so he goes on and continues just this now list of things and we're going to go through these and just kind of touch on them but I want you to kind of notice not only what these people their faith overcame but also the circumstances that their faith had to go through Verse 32, it says, What shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the, fur, the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies, who received back their dead, raised to life again. And you kind of get this one picture right there if we stop there and you say, wow, all these great things that were done, all these amazing things that were done by these people, their faith led them to victory. And if you just stop there, it seems like that's all and always what happens, but... It doesn't stop there. And I also want you to take notice to, to one of the names that are there. Well, actually, a few of the names. Samson. Samson doesn't have the best reputation. We don't think of Samson as being a great person of faith. We seem to recall Delilah and that whole issue. And he had some issues with women and with anger management and... and and then David himself. I mean, wasn't there that whole Bathsheba scene and her husband being killed, Uriah? And what's with that? And he had a lot of mishaps. And isn't it interesting that God sees these people in a light of their best and not in their worst? And you see, David could be called a man after God's own heart because even though he was an adulterer and a murderer, he put his faith in God and was able to get justified by God, not in his circumstances. And that never left who David was. It followed him and his family. He had to deal with the the issues that in his own life kind of spilled over into his children. 
God sees things differently. And so God could call David a man after his own heart. And Samson can be listed here in these people. Why? Because God sees the end product. And at the end, Samson, when he regained his strength, even though he was there imprisoned between the columns, and we know the story, his eyes are gouged out, he still kills more men in his death than he did, or more of the enemy in his death than he did in all his life. God is able to take his life and make a turn that we can't turn. But we see all these benefits that happen. They receive, in verse 35, they receive back their dead, raised again, but then it says others. And that word others is an important one to include in our lives. Because we don't always rout the enemy. We don't always get the dead brought back to life. We don't always make it through the fiery flames. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings while others were chained and put in prison. Some were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. Okay, there's another side of the coin. And now we're talking about faith. We're still talking about the credentials of faith. Some of the credentials show up in, in great and delivering works. Others, it shows up in spite of the persecution. You see, some had faith over their circumstances and some had faith in their circumstances. And, and it kind of works that way. Sometimes you, you get faith and it's over the circumstances. God delivers. God does the miraculous. And sometimes you have to have faith in your circumstances. When you're being persecuted, when you're being tortured, when you're being jeered, when you're going through these things, when you're standing up for your faith and you're giving up the advantage at work because you're not going to be deceitful, you're not going to lie. When you're ridiculed and you don't ridicule back, and people think one way of you and you don't try and defend yourself, but instead you trust in God. You see, you have faith over circumstances and you have to have faith in circumstances. Faith carries us through that. And the end, what it says in verse 38, isn't that just, it's amazing. The world was not worthy of them. What a powerful statement. Think of all that entails. The world is not worthy of those who have faith in God. Wow. Doesn't that make you want to be one of those? Okay, then. You're wearing, willing to be tortured, face jeers, flogging, chained, imprisonment, stone, sawed in two, comes with the territory. Take the good and the bad. You don't get to pick and choose. You know, not everything is the prayer of Jabez here. You know, there, there's, there's the good and the bad. And you have to recognize that you don't pick and choose. You live through this life and sometimes God intervenes. Sometimes he doesn't. Well, why? 
God, why did you deliver them, but not them? Why did you help that person go through the car accident unscathed? But I know these people, and they went through, and now their son is a quadriplegic. Why? They had cancer, and they're in remission. They had cancer, and they died. Why? Why, God? Where is your vision? Is it on the temporary or is it on the eternal? Do you only see the circumstances and not realize there is a kingdom that we're living for that we don't see? That there is the invisible God who is at working and the things that we see are temporary. We have to have the right perspective and we have to have the perspective in the God who is eternal. See, even the person who is healed, that healing is only temporary. We still wait for the one who, the city whose builder is God. We are still waiting for that. Verse 39 says, These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Think about that. Are you willing to be commended for your faith and never receive what was promised? Wait a second. If God promises, doesn't he have to do it? He will do it. Joseph didn't see it, but he was promised. Did it happen? Yeah. They were commended for their faith. Not one of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect? God had planned something better for us so that together with us, they would be made perfect. And now the writer here is including the new covenant into what was established. These Hebrew Christians had put faith at one time into all the works that God had done formally, but now he's bringing them around and showing them that what you had put faith and had confidence before God was providing that for us today. That God would do something in us and work in us and do something better. That they're actually made perfect through what God has now done through Jesus Christ and now in his church, those who believe. And, and so there is this understanding that something better is taking place. Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes. For prophets and kings have longed to see what you see, but did not see it. To hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You see, in Jesus is the fulfillment of what God had promised, now fulfilled. And those before had faith, even though they didn't see it. And you and I still have to have faith, even though we don't see it. That's what faith is. It's faith in what we don't see. Now, what is God called you to? What has God called me to? Why do some get to be victorious and some have to go through other times of persecution? That's everyone's life. That's what you and I have to live for. Why does some people enjoy health, enjoy just success, enjoy the benefits of things that are here, and some people don't. Are, is that person more blessed than the other? No. 
Is this person more holy because they're going without than the other? No. We're basing it on circumstances. God calls every person to something different. And we have to be careful that we don't start making little levels of how a person is judged based on what we see and how we understand things. Here we have the gamut. Some did miraculous things, had life come back to those that were dead, and some died. Which ones were better? They were the same. Not one's better than the other. And so we need to be careful that we don't then start taking the circumstances and basing what is faith based just on circumstances. Faith is in God. God works out the circumstances. God knows why some go through what they do and why others don't. I don't know. You know, we, we used to drop our kids off a, a, in the nursery and, and, you know, we'd be there in line waiting for the kids and then, you know, we'd see the parent in front of us. Oh, you know, she was an angel. She was so perfect. She's the best little child in the world. And we're thinking, oh, that's so sweet. And then we pick up our children. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did you feed them today? They were just awful. I was like, thank you. God, can we have those children? You know, why, why can't we have the angel? You know, why, why did we get the other, you know? We each have to live our life in trust with God and what he has for us. And we need to be careful that we don't put our standards on other people and judge people based on whether they're healthy, whether they're rich, whether they're whatever. Samson is considered someone who had faith. Samson, David. You know, you, you look at Samuel, well, I could see Samuel, you know, he, he He's got a good name. You know, uh, he was a prophet. You know, we don't have any real wrongdoing. He got a little hot-headed sometimes, but he, we all have to put our trust in God for whatever is before us. And life is messy. We all know this. At least by now we should. But where are, where is your focus? Take it off of the circumstances and put it on God. Take it off of people and other circumstances. Put it on God. Take it off of yourself and put it on God. See the one who is invisible. Give up the treasures of this world that are there for a season. Instead, put them in God. Jesus said, put your treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. If you put your treasure in heaven, you won't be let down. If your treasure is here on earth, you will lose it. And so we need to have faith and trust in God and put our treasures in heaven. Let's pray. Father, faith can be such an elusive thing and yet it is such a foundational thing to we who are named Christian. It is a necessity for us 
and yet it is something that we always battle with. Lord, we desire to have confidence in you and only in you. Lord, we want to be like Moses and not take and side with the Egypt or the things that are temporary, the things that will satisfy only for a short while but are contrary to you. We want to see you even though you're invisible. And we want to put our confidence in you and the things that you have that are still waiting for us, that are ahead. God, help us to have the right priorities in our life. Help us to not give in to the pressures and the temptations and the, Father, the struggles that would pull us from seeing and focusing on you. God, may we live our lives as if you were our focus, as if you were our, if you were, as if you're there, Lord, we know you are, and may we live our lives with that kind of conviction. Lord, I pray you would help us in those areas and those times when we struggle, when we falter, Lord, when we are clouded by the things of this world, by our circumstances, by our pride, coveting, worrying about what people think rather than what you think. God, may the things you care about be the things we care about. And may we seek to please you. I do ask these things, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.